Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. In this episode of the podcast, we chat with Ron Carucci, and his entire life is around creating and supporting uh, transformation within organizations. So as we look you know, at the strategic planning process, laying the foundation for what that future is, and then once you get out of your very safe two-day offsite, it's about what are the things that you're doing as a senior leader to get your people bought in, to create the processes and structure, to create that change, and to get the vision communicated throughout the organization, focusing on your internal strengths, knowing who your organization is and who your organization isn't, and then making a plan of action to move it forward. So if you are at the beginning stages of your strategic planning process, be sure to call us. We'd be happy to facilitate and work with you on that. If you are in the middle of your strategic planning process and you're middle of execution, really listen to this podcast deeply, take notes. Um, it was super fun to, to chat with Ron about, and I really hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pleased to introduce my guest for today, Ron Carucci, who is the managing partner at Navalent. Ron, how are you today? Oh, Anthony, great, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. I know you've had a lot of stuff going on right now. So maybe as a, as a way of getting introduced, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what you guys do at Navalent, and sort of your experience contributing um, in the world of leadership and strategy? Yeah, happy to. So, you know, we, we are a, um, a small boutique firm, and we get the, the privilege every day of traipsing the halls of organizations, um, accompanying some executive leader on, on, the, on the journey of some disruptive change, either a ditch they've gotten themselves into or a, strat- a strategy pivot they're trying to make or um, some organizational disconnect that's causing them some pain. Whatever that is, our job is to sort of you know, do an MRI and look deep under the hood to understand what, what is going on that's either getting in their way or preventing them from getting what they want, and then construct a, a pathway for them strategically, organizationally, culturally, uh, to help uh, systemically make sure that whatever change we put in place sticks. Um, so it's a, usually a fairly transformational process. Um, sometimes we, we're with our clients for multiple years, but it's a privilege. We get to wake up every day wondering how we get to leave the world better than we found it. Um, and we get to accompany some incredibly impressive and inspiring leaders along the way. That's awesome. And then in addition to, you know, you've been running Navalent for you know many years now. In addition to that, you've got some uh, experience and the organizational capability in a few different organizations uh, that are, I would say, are name brands, but people would probably recognize that. Huh? We, we, we have a, a wonderful portfolio of clients. You know, there are some... From, you know, from Starbucks to Microsoft to ConAgra Foods, uh, you know, and some larger enterprises, just some beautiful and wonderful, exciting startups that are not household names yet, but probably one day will be. <laughs> I got that. And I, and I bring it up to really say that, you know, the, the problems that you're seeing, they are, um, they affect everybody. The disruption, like, affects everybody. And, that, you know, you, you, you're not just talking the talk, but you've walked the walk and you've done so for a really long time. So, uh, well, and we, you know, I think we've probably now served well over 200 different clients in all sizes and sectors, you know, startup, mid-cap, global enterprise, you know, technology, food, health, life sciences, uh, biotech, 
financial services, insurance. So we, we've seen a lot. The interesting thing about you know human beings is that if you take four walls, put a roof on those four walls, put a bunch of people inside and call it an organization, there are probably some very significant and recurring patterns you're going to see, regardless of what those people are are up to during the day. Um, and so there are you know there's a there's a social, technical, psychological, and competitive set of patterns that typically emerge when you try and organize human endeavor at scale. Okay, I got that. So there's a few uh, few questions I have for you. So I'm not sure exactly where I want to go first. I don't know if I what, what you pick. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about what you're seeing in terms of disruption and how it's impacting industries, or do you want to talk about the people aspect of uh, of of these businesses and the patterns you tend to t- see, so that leaders that and are I, listening know that they're not alone. Anthony, I think the the intersection of those two things I think is in the title of your podcast, which is strategy, uh, and, and what it is and what it's not. I think I'd love to sort of have a chat about, you know, whether disruption is coming at you, or you're trying to cause disruption, or you've now faced some technological, competitive, you know, regulatory. A competitor made a move you didn't see coming. Whatever it is. I think um, those things can put organizations back on their heels, you know, put, put them into severe defense mode. Um, you got a patent running out. You know, I, I think the thing that I typically and, and most frustratingly see organizations do is not know how to do fundamental strategy work 101. Mm-hmm. Turn to all the counterfeits. They revise the mission statement. They revise the value statement. They 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 turn the crank up. Uh, and torque down on the uh, financial objectives and goals. They or they the the, the worst one they cut costs. Um, they do some kind of defensive move that creates the illusion of progress, creates the illusion of clarity, creates the illusion of forward motion. You know they accelerate a, a, an objective, or they they take money from one place and put it in another place. Um, they they accelerate a launch of a new product. And none of those things are really strategic in nature in terms of really fundamentally securing, protecting your identity in the marketplace. <laughs> and when I ask people, and what, what, you know, I think we all, all of you listeners know that one of the painful problems in this field is, is vocabulary. You say the word strategy, it has three different meanings. You say business model, you say objective, you say goal, you say tactic, you say all these different tiers of what it means to plan and guide your future. And everybody's using a different vocabulary with different meaning, and so that that actually creates a major language barrier. But so fundamentally, if I say to a leader, you know, when I ask for your strategy, I get all the the the, the fake things of it. If I say, tell me who are your fundamental competitors? Why would people choose you over somebody else? What makes you different? Where have you earned your right to win? What are the capabilities you invested in that if you invest a dollar in, five dollars comes in the door? How have you set yourself apart, and how does that frame your identity to the marketplace? How do people know who you are and why to choose you? And who are you saying no to? What work are you saying no to? Who are you not serving? Those fundamental questions of identity are so often unanswered or unclearly answered or poorly answered that when you get a, a, a sort of a body blow, some kind of a seismic event happens, either inside your company, you, somebody, did, somebody commits a scandal, or you know, you're on a headline now, or, or outside, you know, a regulatory law changes, a new competitor enters your marketplace at a much lower price point, you, you know, whatever it is. You, it is much more off-balancing if you don't know who you are. But if you know who you are and you know 
what you're good at and why you're good at it. Um, your your response doesn't mean you it doesn't mean you have to be arrogant. You can be arrogant to not respond at all, right? That you see we see that Ubers all the time, right? Oh, uh, who we don't have to care about them? How, how many hotels have said Airbnb? Who cares? You know, I'm sure all the taxi cab companies thought Uber was a, just a, a minor annoyance, but. It does give you a sense for, okay, we know how to respond and why we have to respond because we know who we are. If we don't know who we are, we're going to grasp at straws, act desperate, make you know, extreme maneuvers, um, look foolish doing it, right, because we're going to do things that really aren't who we are. So I would love for executives to get really serious about chalking the field and, staying, and committing to a, a fundamental set of um, – competitive differentiators and capabilities that set them apart, and from that, build out strategy. All right. So I assert there's some people listening to this that that was either a big punch in the gut to their own strategic process and saying, oh, we just came up with a mission statement to say that we're going to deliver high-quality projects and make sure that all of our people are happy. And then there might be a group of people out there that are listening to this and saying, well, we don't operate in a highly competitive environment. We're just trying to do a bunch of stuff. Um, but I definitely got the fundamental part of your approach to strategy, which is, I wouldn't say any different than mine is, you know, who are we at its, at our core and what makes us better or different than our competitors and explaining or demonstrating the value of that to create yourself like a long-term economic moat and not just paying lip service to strategy, but actually making sure that everybody is on the same page and have a set of not just doing, because people are really great at doing, as I'm sure you've seen, Yeah. but really like getting clear on what not to do. So uh, from us. And Anthony, I fully appreciate, <laughs> Anthony, that everything you just said is hard, right? You described <laughs> it eloquently and articulately, and it makes perfect sense when you say it. And I, I appreciate that, but actually doing it really is much harder than it sounds. But, it, but that, isn't, that can't be an excuse not to do it. Right, and I guess that getting in a room and writing a mission statement or a value statement or a vision statement or a set of principle operating principles or you know, getting real clear on a bunch of goals or in making some investments in some new initiatives or products, I, you, you, that feels more tangible. I get that, but it, it's for the person who who wrote the mission statement instead of doing the strategy work. You know I, what I want you to hear is all your people are rolling their eyes. You, you may have left the room with this noble-sounding group reading of that mission statement and felt really great about how galvanized that moment felt, but it, it, it's gone now, and now everybody went back to their cubicles in their offices and returned to business as usual. I promise you that, and that shouldn't feel good. To those of you who think, you know, to, to the listener who's like, a, hey, there's just 40 of us here. You know, we're a small company. We're just trying to keep up with Costco's orders. Um, we don't need that that's the best for big companies. I would say to you, you need it more than anybody. Because if you, if you have aspirations to grow and scale, and if you think you're not disruptable, if you think that the, someone else doing what you're doing is not going to be moving it up the street in the next two years, that's just naive. And many entrepreneurs and small company and mid-caps um, you know, have thought the same thing to their own peril. So um, you, will be, you will make a lot more money and be a lot more successful if, you, if your decision-making processes and your resource allocation processes, even for a company that small, are rooted in a very clear identity. Mm. So, okay, so uh, I'm gonna, uh, I know you and I could expunge the values of the strategic planning forever. So maybe we'll both, well, let's take a step back from our you need strategy because I think we're both 
in agreement of, I mean, obviously it's, it's we're both strategy companies. Um, and let's talk about maybe some practical applications. So, um, in terms of choosing what not to do. Okay. So let's yep. say you know, strategy itself is, is about actually choosing what not to do. And the one yep. that I find is the hardest thing for people to grasp is when we look at a mission statement and, you know, everybody fundamentally, you know, strategy is not new and people know what it is. When we talk about who we are, what do we do and who do we do it for? Let's talk about the benefits or the opportunity of honing on a key customer. So in trying, instead of trying to serve everybody because people want to provide solutions, I'm a, you know, if, if you have buzzwords in your mission statement or your purpose statement, like I'm like, no, just take words that actually mean something. What do you really do for people? But let's just talk one specifically. If one of our managers are listening and they're saying, great, we want to do this strategic work. We want to pick a core customer base and we want to actually choose to not choose as in, we know what we're not going to do. How do you, um, what, are, what is something uh, our listeners can do to start bringing that strategic thinking into the process? So whether that's looking at their mission statement or bringing up the concept of we should do strategic planning, we should be more strategic in thinking, what are some act, uh, takeaways that they can take in, one, two, or three things that they can take away today to bring to their teams? Okay, so the first thing I would always say is start with the work. So, so all great strategies have to devolve into real practical daily execution, and that starts at your organization, not your org chart, but your organization, your systems, your processes, your structures, everything you do, the tasks that somebody sitting in a cubicle every day are all, whether you intend for it to be or not, an embodiment of your strategy. And that, and that organization is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. So if the strategy is not working, look to the work. And I would say this. Start by simply saying, let's, let's divide our work up. Uh, if I said to you, Separate your all the all the work happening in your organization into competitive work, and that's the work that is the most. It's the it's the smallest bucket of work that is the it's your SWAT t- it's your SWAT work. It isn't by function, but what are the things that um, you do that make people pay you the price you, they pay you and make them keep coming back? What's the competitive work? What's your competitive enabling work? So that's a, it's a little bit larger, but what's the work that directly supports that? So if you compete on premium levels of service, right, your customer-facing people are really that customer service work, customer responsiveness, selling work, that's your competitive work. Competitive enabling work could be your customer service response teams or some of your technology processes. That, and then the last bucket of work we're going to call, what's your necessary work? What's the work that keeps the lights on, keeps you out of jail, keeps you in compliance? <laughs> uh, that's probably about 60% of the work in your organization. And then ask yourself, where is all that work located? And I guarantee you, you're going to find places where you have competitive, competitive enabling, and necessary work mixed together. And what you have just done is diluted your strategy. Anytime you mix competitive work with necessary work, the competitive work doesn't get done or doesn't get done to the, to the, um, to the quality level it needs to because the necessary work is always so urgent. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you organized the work to protect the competitive work, to invest the most in it disproportionately, and maximize its effectiveness? And have you organized the necessary work for maximum efficiency? The least amount of people, the least amount of cost, um, you have to do it better than anybody else. You have to do it, do it on par. Have you, is your organization built to keep that work protected and adjacent to where it needs to be? My, my guess is that people would find it's not. My guess is that they couldn't even agree on what the competitive work was. 
So how do they? So how do they? Given that, because I like I, the common answer, the common thing I hear is, how do you make time for strategic work? And they don't even just say that. They actually say, "I'm too busy to do X." So, if you are too busy working in your organization to step back and work on your organization, um, you, you shouldn't be leading. You shouldn't be leading. Well, actually, you're not leading. <laughs> yeah. And, and stop kidding yourself. Right? Just recognize that every day you choose to be gratified by working in your business instead of working on it, you're mortgaging the future. Right? At some point, you'll get an invoice for those choices, and that invoice will have a lot of interest on it. So it's perfectly okay for you to spend your days with your hands in the weeds, you know, executing, um, convincing yourself you have no choice, convincing yourself that there's just no time. You can do it. That's perfectly okay. Just recognize. It's like a person who ignores the tumor. <laughs> um, oh, it'll go away. It might. It could, it, it, you could just be fine. Um, more often than not, that's not the case. And when that ditch comes, when that speed bump that throws people out of the back seat gets hit, your ability to respond is now deeply compromised because you have not built the chops, the muscles, to be able to, to, be able to architect your organization enough to respond. Um, and if you think all 20, 30, 80, 400, however many people you have underneath you are going to just go, oh, we know what to do now, that's not going to happen. They're going to look to you and go, what do we do? So our biggest customer just came to us and said, we got, we got outbid and we got unseated, right? Because if, you, if you're an incumbent provider to some premium customer, there are people nipping at your heels trying to unseat you every day. And you may think they're inconsequential. You may think they're immaterial. You may think that there's no way they love us. Um, happens every day. They'll go in and promise them a price half of yours. <laughs> I mean, it, it can happen in one decision. And you're, every, every business is one decision away from a disaster. Um, and it's, it's often someone else's decision. So um, if you can find several hours a week with you and your team to make the future uh, the practical implications of the future of your organization part of your routine, um, then you're probably in the wrong job. You know, hire somebody else to, do, to be your CEO or to be your executive, and you go do the things you love. If you love doing the work, if you love having your sleeves rolled up to do the work, go do it. That's great. But don't pretend, people are, are assuming you're minding the future. They assume you've got your eye on the horizon. Um, and if you don't, um, it's, it's cruel for you to continue to, claim, you know, to be in a role that, that presumes that you, you are because people, people's careers and livelihoods are bet on somebody minding them a store for tomorrow. And you ought to feel convicted about the fact that if you're not doing that, you're, you're cheating a lot of people out of a potential future. Yeah. I got that. Well, I'll, I'll play it's a good cop, bad cop on the, because that's like, and you're absolutely correct in terms of, you know, as a leader, if you're looking at, you know, do you have time for this strategic work? You know, absolutely don't want to mortgage somebody's future because of those things. But if you wanted to look at it as like, what's the opportunity for you is if you, you know, if you actually like let up your grip, so went through a planning process, looked at the things that needed to be done. And you actually in, empowered others to take on the job. The opportunity for you is that you can focus on that strategic work because you don't have to be so busy doing things. And then, you know, to Ron's point is, you know, um, if you want to keep doing those things, then yeah, let somebody take that because there is, they're looking to you for leadership. And if you're taking that away, then there's nobody like steering the boat. And so, and Anthony, I mean, you know this, the reason people don't do it is they either don't like it or they don't like the ambiguity of it or they don't know how to do it, yeah. right? 
it's not, it's, I mean, they may say there's no time for it. That's never the reason. Um, it really is that I'm not sure what to do. I don't like that work. It's conceptual and abstract. Um, but it's actually really fun, and it's really exciting, and it's inspiring. And you shouldn't do it alone anyway. I mean, you should, it is an opportunity. Crafting the future is not going off to the mountain and coming back with the tablets, right? It really is a process of engaging a lot of people with ideas and thoughts and aspirations for your organization. And, and, and you know, our strategy process is very collaborative. We get lots of people engaged to craft the future because we, we believe experts from outside your company should never bring you a strategy. Agreed. Right? That's a, that's a, I mean, the world bookshelves of corporate America are littered with those Navy blue binders. <laughs> you know, brilliant, unimplementable strategies. Um, this, the strategy, it's your, it's your, you can have people bring you tools and processes and guide you and give you insights, but your, the future of your company is yours to build. Yeah, I, I joke and I say, I will never tell you, by the way, if anybody's ever asking to you know, work with myself or work with Navalence, but for me, I say, I will never tell you anything. I won't tell you how to run your company because you don't know what you, like, I can't tell you how to run your company better. I can tell you how to structure a strategic plan. I can suggest methods to engage your people, which is really, you know, what we're up to. But in terms of developing a strategy, that has to be created within, because otherwise we're pushing a plan on people, which, as you alluded to, Ron, it's like, that's the stuff that doesn't work. It's pushing something on people instead of pulling them into the process, getting them aligned and engaged on that future, and then them having something at stake so that when it comes to executing the strategy, it's not, oh, this thing that my manager and my boss created. It's really like, yeah, this is the thing I wanted to do because I saw activities um, that there were to do. So before we, I'm going to maybe we'll take a different fork in the road here, but I, it'll, it'll tie in at the end. And I want to talk about power and the power that leaders have, because I think that there's sort of, and you may agree or disagree, that there's a sense that's like, okay, well, I have this plan. Now, how do I get people bought in? And, you know, people don't listen to me or I don't have any power in my organization. Um, can, can we speak a little bit to how leaders, so we talked about the strategy part. Let's talk about the leadership part how leaders can get people bought into the strategy and how, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of even self-confidence or just understanding of what power that they have. Can you, can you run with that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Anthony. So, I mean, it's, it is not uncommon for me, for, for, for me to hear from a CEO, you know, I, I, I'm the least powerful person in the, in the organization. Nothing I say makes a difference. I can't get anybody to do anything. Um, and as people at the top of the house, are, and there is an, a, a, a delusion that people think, well, now that I've got this positional authority, I can do whatever I want. Um, well, your position does come with some power. And the interesting thing in our 10-year research that we discovered was not that people will misuse the power in those roles for self-gain or self-interest. The biggest abuse of that power was the abandonment of it. People too afraid to use it. People too... Uh, self-conscious to use it and therefore setting it aside and letting it, and letting mayhem ensue because they're not guiding the organization. They're too afraid to say no. They're too afraid to narrow focus. But in your position, you have authority to be able to write injustices, to be able to create um, opportunity for people, to create, I mean, your imposing of your will and the imposing of that strategy um, to engage people in owning it, to engage people in um, the disappointment of saying no. I mean, your ability, as a, your job as a leader is to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. Um, <laughs> that's your job. And, awesome. and saying no is a gift. Not, I mean, obviously saying no to bad ideas is easy. Saying no to great ideas so that the ideas you've already committed to can prevail um, is a gift 
and they want that focus. And allow, setting your organization up to succeed by sticking to what you're committed to um, is, is the greatest gift you can give them. So recognize that your willingness to Somewhere in your organization, there are injustices. There are unfair processes. There are resource allocation systems that that don't take, take the right voices into account. There are decision rights distributed to the wrong people. There are people being asked to be accountable without the authority to do, to, to do, do what they're accountable for. You can fix those things, right? You can shape the organization and or reshape the organization to to be um, doesn't have to be fair, but it has to be equitable, right? And that's what people want from you. You can bring information that they don't have access to to shape their perspectives, right? You have access to insights, access to data, access to external um, views, uh, more experienced ba- levels that you can help shape their view. They're not just going to show up with, uh, and cross it at the wonder of you because you're brilliant, right? Some people are not going to see the self-evident logic of a strategy and just go, okay, let's go. Part, part of your job is to teach them. Part of your job is to help educate them and shape their views on why this journey is going to be a great one. Um, and, and, and if you have not got the relationship with them, if you've not got the connection to them, if you've not built the credibility of a trust, if they don't believe that their success is on your agenda, then they're not going to trust you. So you've got to build a relationship with them that makes your advocacy for the strategy mean something to them. So in your position, in your information, and in your relationships and how you connect to these people, all of those are sources of your power, and they all play a really critical role um, in guiding your organization forward and getting them to adopt a direction you want to take it. But you need all three, right? If you just have a great connection, but don't impose a no, then it's just paid friendship. If you just have information, then you just the answer ATM, right? So if you're just the, 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 the benevolent dictator who just dictates answers, then you're just, that, that's all you are. It, need, it needs all three of those sources of power, your, your ability to connect and build relationships, your ability to inform and shape perspective, and your ability to shape the organization to do, it, do its right for the, for the collective good, not for anybody's individual good. Um, and it's a privilege. I mean, these, are, these are privileged things to be able to do uh, as a leader, and they're thrilling. I mean, and they're things that others in the organization don't get to do. You know, uh, the closer you get to the top of an organization, the more unique that influence is and the more, uh, more privilege you ought to treat it with. Yeah, absolutely. So summarize, you know, as a leader, you have the power to claim I mean, call it responsibility, but you have the opportunity to be responsible for things. You have the power, and that's what's been bestowed upon you. Um, I was listening to a podcast where he was a speechwriter for Barack Obama, and the hardest things came up to the president's desk because he had to make the choice. He had to say yes or no, and it was the position that he had to take that nobody else could. And ultimately, you know, that's where that responsibility lies. So, in your organization as a leader, if you see something that is going on, you absolutely have the power to address it. And even if you're not a leader, even if you're like a frontline employee, consider that you have a lot more power than you think. And then if it's something that's important to you that you want to take ownership of, take that ownership. And that's if you as a, as a high level leader can bestow that implicit power on all of your people so that they are engaged and bought into your strategy and then they take responsibility for everything around them instead of being at the effect of things. That's when you get real performance. That's when you get real transformation. Um, and then the final piece, you know, I was talking to a guy today and we were talking about his leadership and talking to somebody said, you know, every time we have this transactional conversation that is uh, about, you know, just the performance, 
and say, well, because there, there, there's a gap there in between them understanding that it's not just success for the organization or success for their position, but there's there's them as human beings and their success in life, not just as you know, widgets or people who are designed to perform results. It's like, well, what's important to them? Are you in family? Are you in community? Are you in sports? Are you family member? All of that success ties in there. And then as a leader, if you can create that space for them and, and support them, and as you said, you're so perfect, that their success is on your agenda. That's when you start getting transformation. That's when you start getting performance. And ultimately, that's, that's what you want as a leader to drive results. But it, it, it's that recipe, not just an ingredient, to make that happen. Anything I might have missed out of that, Ron? No, well said, Anthony. Well said. Awesome. So um, as we sort of wrap up here, um, is there anything else that you would want to share? We, you know, Our managers, leaders listening all over the world, next steps that they can take uh, to start creating that strategy, to start having those those discussions as a team, um, you know, what would you say the next step for, for people are to... Well, I mean, I talked about strategy, we talked about organization. I think from a leadership point of view, if you are uncalibrated, if you are not confident that people are metabolizing your leadership the way you intend, go find out. You know, if there's, if you, if there's no pipeline of fresh air and honest feedback to your door about you know, the brutal truth about what you're great at and where your flat sides are, you are, you are flying without radar. So find a way to get feedback. Uh, solicit it informally, engage in a formal process, but if you haven't got some way to calibrate uh, the decisions you're making, the way you're influencing, uh, the messages you're sending, the example you're trying to set, the, the, the guidance you're trying to give, the coaching you're offering, the direction you're setting, if people are not metabolizing that as you intend. And, and, and the, here's the thing. What, what executives don't realize is that the higher up you go, your life's on the jumbotron, right? You're playing out in a very public way, and people are concocting you. There are more versions of you out there in your organization than you want to believe. Hmm. Um, you may not be able to control all that noise, but you should certainly want to know what it is. And so just most leaders think, but that's not what I said. That's not what I thought. I hear that all the time. So if you are not confident that there's a reasonable um, – the degree of accurate translation of who you are and what you intend and what you believe into people's choices below you and out into the farthest reaches of your organization, go and get that feedback. I, I, yeah, that's awesome. And keep it easy. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You just, it doesn't have to take hours. It doesn't have to be a long meeting. It just means sitting down, not even sitting down, say, hey, shake hands, say what's up, and just get that perspective because... Well, you, and some, for some people, it's, it's not just about how are you doing. Tell me how I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if it, if it requires a third-party instrument, if it requires an assessment tool, if it requires a, uh, some kind of a uh, – people will feel more comfortable giving it to you anonymous, that's fine. But find a mechanism by which people can tell you the honest truth about you. Mm. Awesome. That's just super great. So, Ron, uh, how can people get a hold of you or, or learn more about you know the practices and, and some of the things that you uh, espouse? Yeah, we'd love to keep the conversation going. So come and visit us at navalent.com, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. Got some great videos and tools and lots of content about leading at the strategic level of an organization. We have a free ebook. If you want to know our playbook for how we actually create transformation, if you come to navalent.com slash transformation, um, there's a free ebook for you to download there on how we lead transformation in organizations. It's our playbook. Um, if you're an aspiring executive, so if you're, you know, you're just a few feet away from that first vice president or that first senior level role, we're beginning a brand new cohort called Rising Together. Um, you know, we got tired of watching the 50% of, exec- of great executives failing in their first 18 months. We decided we'll build our own army. So we've, uh, if you come to navalent.com slash rising together, I think we have like a few spots left. 
um, for the upcoming cohort, uh, for taking you on an accelerated journey for a year. There'll be assessments, there'll be feedback, there'll be group work, the coaching from us based on our our tenure study and our book, Rising to Power. Um, and we're going to accelerate the creation of a great army of future executives. So if that's a path you want to be on, come join us. You can find me on Twitter at, at Ron Carucci, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So let's stay in touch. Awesome. Ron, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Anthony, my pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guest today has been Ron Carucci, who's the managing partner at Navalent. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it with somebody in your network and rate us five stars on iTunes, Twitter, or SoundCloud. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.